Welcome back to Nerd is New Podcast. Um, I'm Justin. I'm Josh. We're back here with our third episode. Josh, you want to tell everyone what it's going to be about? Yeah, today the main topic of the day is let's nerd out on video games pre-2000s, which I just found out that I am not as good as my fellow co-host. So Yeah, we'll get to that here in a second. Um, but uh, we like to start the show off every time, which is a little bit about you know what we've been nerding out on. Yeah, and so me, I, I picked something a little different this week. I'm also a history nerd, so I'm in a class right now, and I actually picked a book, and it's called Hard Times by Charles Dickens. Guarantee you, if you don't, if you haven't heard his name, you have heard of something he has done. He, Christmas Carol is his most famous uh, book. So Hard Times is a book that was written by Charles Dickens in 1854, and basically it's looking at how crappy life is. To in England in the 1850s, if you're not rich, um, so that's pretty cool. I think if you're a reader, you'll like. There's very complex characters, so it's not like one person is amazing, one person is bad. They're very complex. And as I'm reading it, I think it would be um, an awesome miniseries, and it revolves around a circus, Coke Town, which is also actually Manchester in England, a school run by a guy named I kid you not. Mr. Chokum Child. I, I don't even have anything sarcastic to say about that. I know. And I, that's just Dickens being hilarious in the 1850s about school teachers. I guess that's how they thought of us back then. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it's uh, Capital punishment is not allowed. Yes. Corporal punishment, I should say. Not in anymore. Education. And then, uh, and then a, like a family drama. So um, I gave it three out of five stars. It's a pretty decent book. And then on my radar, too, is VP. Or Veep. I don't know how. How do we say it? Veep? Yeah, Veep. Veep. I, okay, I say Veep. But Which is an awesome show. My yes. wife and I watch it. So we are, we're on one episode in, and we love it. So that's on my radar. That's what I'm going to be watching. Yeah, so what's been on my nerd radar? Um, I just started, I'm halfway through, uh, a new show called The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. And Josh, you said you have not watched it, right? I have not. I have heard very good things about it, so it's on the list. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So I didn't realize that it was a, a Dark Horse comics Um and, or at least inspired by or based off of. Um, and this comic series ran in September of 2007 until 2013, and then they re-released it again, um, or continued the story in, in 2018. That's currently going on. Um, and basically it's about an academy for students or kids that have uh, special powers. And this guy... Um, kind of like an X-Men style thing. It's kind of what I, I thought of when I saw the synopsis of it when I was looking at it. It is just like that, but it's got like a fun twist on it. Um, in that, you know, in X-Men, uh, Charles Xavier recruits everyone to come to the, uh, the school. Um, in this instance, uh, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, kind of the, the leader of the, of the Umbrella Academy, purchases, so on this one date, purchases seven of the 43 babies across the world that were just all of a sudden born, um, kind of like immaculately conceived, but like in a one day. Uh, and so he buys seven kids, and they have superpowers. Um, Space Boy, the Kraken, the Rumor, the Seance, the Boy, the Horror, and the White Violin. And in the show, um, these are played by Ellen Page, Tom uh, Hopper, um, David, I'm going to butcher this, Castaneda, I think, um, Robert Sheehan, Aidan Gallagher, and Mary J. Blige is actually one of the uh, 
the antagonist. This is some pretty big names for a for a kind of an unknown show. Ellen Page is pretty popular. Obviously, Mary J. Blige is as well. That's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, and yeah, so it's on Netflix, and I, I strongly encourage. I haven't gotten to the end of the season. How one. many episodes is it? Uh, ten episodes. Ten episodes. Yeah, so it's pretty good. So um, cool. So now let's get into kind of what we're going to talk about today, which Josh alluded to. Um, we're going to nerd out on video games pre two thousands. Yeah, and I, I think the first game that I picked, or we picked and talked about, was Mario Kart on N64. So just to, you know, again, Josh did just mention that we, we played each other. H- how do you say you, you fared against me? I would say not very well. Okay. I would say, yeah, not very well at all. <laughs> I have a lot of experience with the game, to say the least. I could tell. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of times when you were supposed to be hanging out with real people in college, you might have been at home playing video games. So. Yeah, but at least... Well, hold on. These are all multiplayer games, so most of the time I was with people while we were doing this. Um, so yeah, we were hanging out. There you go. More trash talking than like actual talking, but that's important for bonding, right? Definitely. All right. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the game. So the game was originally called Super Mario Kart R, which stands for Rendered. Um, it was released on February tenth, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, and it was supposed to be a launch game for uh, N64, kind of like a, you know, the game that everyone's put, that, that, that Nintendo was putting their uh, their full force behind. Is like, hey, you can play the Mario Kart game, but you also have to buy the new system. Um, but instead, they kind of they kind of gave that to Mario 64. Which, if you've ever played that game, I've not. It's 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 revolutionary. But we're not going to talk about that today. Yeah, and then um, some more history of the game. It's players driving controls were designed to be similar to operating a radio-controlled car. And there's eight racers. Four players could race at one time. All right. What about some society impact? Society and gaming impact. Um, Multiplayer racing made it a hit. Some of the maps and secrets were not as good as the original, but the multiplayer racing was phenomenal, and it made it easy to play over and over again. I think it's kind of almost... uh, revolutionary game when you look at all the racing games that we have now coming from it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. And it actually sold um, 5.5 million copies in the U.S. and uh, 2.24 million in Japan. Um, As of 2014, it had sold almost 10 million copies nationwide, which is uh, the second best-selling game for N64, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so let's move on to our favorite character of the game, of the race. I have two for, like, the Grand P versus model time trials. I liked Yoshi. I always thought he was cool. He was green. He was fast. And then I, for battle mode, I was a Donkey Kong fan. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't... Yeah. That's Donkey Kong, kind of like playing with Bowser, is almost like you're almost cheating. You just run into them full speed. And... Well, as bad as I am, you can see that I kind of had to cheat a little bit, so... Right, so my, my favorite character has always been Peach... Um, Princess Peach, and you know, I know you said that Yoshi's the fastest, but uh, I, I would beg to differ. I think Peach, maybe Peach could just make the turns better than everyone else. She's, could always, be. she's always been my favorite character in every Mario Kart uh, version. And then my favorite course, um, as far as like the Grand Prix and whatnot, is Wario Stadium. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but it has to do with how quickly you can beat the game if you know some tricks up to it. All right. Um, and then some unique aspects of it. One, one thing that made the game unique at the time was there were different weight classes. So you had lightweights, heavyweights, and middleweights. Yeah, and also, like we already mentioned, uh, different game modes. Grand Prix, Time Trial, Versus, and Battle. And also, kind of what set it apart from the original Mario Kart on was that 
They moved to 3D computer graphics, which allowed for the track features such as elevation walls, bridges, and pits, so it made it a lot more fun to play the game because it was better courses, more, I hate to say realistic, but you know what I mean, it's hills and stuff, so. Yeah, um, and there have just been a ton of versions of, uh, of Mario Kart. Yeah, this was a sequel to the first one, like we said, so... Um, I never played Super Nintendo. Yeah, 1992 is when the first one came out. I was three. I'm not that old yet. So. Yeah, I was I was older than three. And uh, so I did have that one. But then since then, they've released uh, Mario Kart Super Circuit on Game Boy Advance, Double Dash on GameCube, um, Mario Kart DS on DS, Mario Kart Wii on the Wii, and then Mario Kart 7, 8, and 9 also on the 3DS, the Wii U, and then the most recent one, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which I have on the Switch, which is pretty. It's pretty amazing. You know, I was always a big fan of Game Boy. I, I would love to find my Game Boy and see, I don't know where it is. It's probably at my mom's house somewhere, but it was those were so fun. Yeah, and I had a Game Boy Color, and uh, I also don't know where that is, but yeah. it'd be nice to track it down. You could probably sell it online for some money. I saw it. I was trying to look uh, look up how much an original Game Boy would cost, and it, it's, I mean, it's pricey. Yeah. Uh, so, let, I mean, we've kind of already hit this, but so let's move on to why we loved it, personal connection. So one of my reasons was... It was the first racing game I ever played. Again, I was young, so and it just really got it going with me. Yeah, when I was younger, we used to play the Super Nintendo version um, with friends, and it was just kind of a cool, cool way to bond. At the time, it was only two controllers, so it wasn't like the the four controller, which is what we had with Mario Kart um, sixty four. Yeah, and for me too, just being able to spend time with my cousins, my siblings, my sister and I would play all the time as well as my friends, and then as my little brother, who we mention on here all the time, um, was getting older, you know, he was only like three when it came out, or two, but I was able to start beating him in that, which was great, so, Jonah, if you're listening, shout out for losing. That's always fun, um, I don't think my brother was ever very good at these games, he may beg to differ, but you never know, and personally, like, the reason why I got decent at it was, I was just telling Josh before when we were playing, um, we had a lot of, uh, Fraternity, fraternal bonding, um, gambling got involved. It got, it became very expensive to lose. Um, pizzas and other things were often wagered, and uh, yeah, you either got good or you got broke pretty quickly. So that was a big reason why I was super into this game. Still kind of am. Cool. And then finally, um, let's just move on to some nerd facts that we found about the game. Yeah. So uh, Rainbow Road is like an iconic course, and uh, there is an avert, there is a version or some track called Rainbow Road in every Mario Kart game. Do you like do you like the Rainbow Road? Yeah, I do. I don't. Not a fan. Um, one big difference between the Japanese and North American releases because obviously Japanese it's, it's big in Japan's where it's from. Um, with the billboards that made up part of the scenery in the racetracks, one example of this was that Mario Kart 64, they had a Marlboro sponsorship in there and the hmm. billboards. And it, it didn't fly in America, the Marlboro ad. Yeah, so. I think that and like the, what was it, Joe Cool, the camel, camel, yeah. uh, the camel, camel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they kind of got rid of that. Um, so Donkey Kong actually replaced his son, uh, Donkey Kong Jr., and Wario replaced the Koopa Troopa um, for this game, which was interesting as far as characters you can play. Yeah, I mean... Um, and then, you know, something else is that, again, I mentioned Super Mario 64, um, there's actually in the Royal Raceway, you can, you could, you can actually go off the course and drive around Peach's Castle, which is pretty neat. You can't go in it, 
Um, but you can uh, kind of drive around the moat and lake, and eventually they'll send you back to the road. Um, and there are just a ton of tricks. Uh, in Wario Stadium, you can basically right up the first little little uh, little mountain or dune, whatever you want to call it, dune buggy, whatever you want to, that's not the right word. What am I thinking? doesn't matter. A little yeah. bump in the road. You can jump right over the wall on the left um, and basically skip half the course. Um, there's also a part on the Rainbow Road you can do the same, and you basically skip three three-fourths of the course. It's pretty tough to do. Um, and obviously there's some less ob- or more obvious ones, uh, Koopa Beach, you can, you can jump through the tunnel. Um, let's see what else. Oh, Calamari Desert, you can actually go through the railroad tracks and it will, it'll skip you forward an entire lap. Um, same thing with, uh, DK's Jungle Parkway. So there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, uh, almost like glitches in the game that allow you to skip big parts of the course. Cool. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a top five game for me of, yeah. that I've, of my, of my life. Definitely. So, uh, the game first game I picked is called Mega Man Two, and you haven't played this, right, Josh? I have not. No, it's kind of been a running theme for us. I think. Oh, I haven't seen your things. I haven't played your game. So this is good. This is culturing for me. Yeah, you're so. you're learning a lot. Um, Mega Man, the Mega Man game series was just amazing, in my opinion. Um, and actually, Mega Man Three was one that I was thinking about doing, but I thought that as far as like the impact it had on me, um, and even gaming itself, I thought Mega Man Two is more appropriate. Um, and this game was actually created, even though Mega Man 1 sales were pretty unimpressive, Capcom, uh, Capcom basically said, you know what, let's create a sequel, um, but we're going to give you four months to do it, which is just a crazy little amount of time. Basically, the staff was uh, forced to work 20-hour work days just to, to meet the deadline, while also working on other titles for uh, Capcom. Yeah, and then I, something that I was, I was researching this game found interesting is that Mega Man 2... Actually, just reused some footage from the original game, especially um, some of their enemy characters that they had in the game. I thought that was kind of interesting, probably because they only had four months to make a game. Yeah, there are some characters that kind of reoccur throughout all the Mega Man uh, series games. Um, so, in uh, on Jan- or, I'm sorry, December twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight, the game was published by Capcom and made exclusively for the NES. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then something it says here, you know, it's released in Japan, and again, like Japan with the Nintendo. Um, in the Japanese version of the game, there's a normal mode. Uh, I'm sorry. There is no difficulty mode in the Japanese version of the game. So the difficulty select is only available in America, European, and Australia. Um, but yeah, there's no difficulty mode in the Japanese game. Yeah, which, I mean, the game is challenging in itself, uh, normal mode, but it's definitely pretty tough um, in the difficult mode. And basically the whole point of the game is you are continuing the battle against the evil Dr. Wily and his rogue robots. It's a side-scrolling game, um, so just classic NES, uh, and you're trying to go through and beat all of the eight stages. Um, basically every time you beat a boss, you get their power, so or you get their weapon. Um, there's Metal Man, Air Man, Bubble Man, Quick Man... Etc. There's a lot of different mans, um, and they each have a unique weapon that you get to use. Uh, this game is the best-selling Mega Man game of all the all of the games that they've ever released. Um, it sold over 1.5 million copies. And like I said, as a result, there's just a ton of more sequels. Um, so I was kind of thinking, like, who's my favorite character? And uh, the obvious answer is uh, is you know Mega Man. He's the protagonist and the only one. Um, but I thought I'd think of a bad guy. So I really like Metal Man because, quite frankly, his weapon is amazing. And it was one of the first ones I can remember where you could shoot 
in multiple directions. It wasn't just left and right. It's also up and diagonally, which is pretty neat. It's interesting. And again, sadly, I've never played the game. It's a little before my time. I'm I'm still kind of young, so it's great to be young and in your 20s still. So. Yeah, so you get to listen to me talk about old things. Yes, exactly. I'm kind of I mean, I'm kind of the young person in the podcast who keeps us hip on the down low and all those all those stuff I learned from my kids. Keeps us hip. That's that's pretty funny. For a lot of reasons. <laughs> um so I mentioned uh, all the different versions. Um, it was Mega Man 2 was actually remade and re-released on Sega in 1994. Um, it's been, it's actually made it to novels and comics. Uh, there are 11 different versions, kind of going from NES all the way through the Switch, um, including uh, Game Boy. Um, there's even a Mega Man Soccer, and uh, there are two fighting arcade games called the Power Battle and the Power Fighter. So it's just like. I mean, it's really made its way throughout yeah. um, pop culture. Now, that's something I do miss, is the arcade games. And going to the arcade, specifically Crestwood Mall, playing at the Exilorama and playing in the arcades was a great time to do. Yeah, Exilorama, and then there was also Tilt. Those are two mm-hmm. huge ones in St. Louis. I'm not sure Tilt was uh, was open. Yeah, I'm not. I remember the Exilorama was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and the big reason why I love this game is that um, we had a thing where, we, you know, whoever's birthday it was, the parents or the kids would get together and buy someone a game, and then everyone would come over and we'd have like a sleepover and just play the game until we beat it. And this is one of the first ones I remember doing that with a group of, of uh, you know, my buddies in grade school, which, you know, again, you know, has a lot of sentimental yeah. meaning for me. Um, so here's some nerd facts about it. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if this is a nerd fact, but just kind of a way for you to help beat the game. Um, really figure out, the key is figuring out what weapon is going to kill or destroy the uh, the bad guy. And that sounds self-explanatory, of course, but, um, for example, Airman is easy with the regular blaster, so beat him first. Then you want to go with Crashman, because if you beat, if you have beaten Airman, you get his little wind thing, and basically it takes like three hits, and he's, he's gone. Um, Woodman, same thing with the wind. Quickman is the next person. Um, Metal Man, again, Kill him with the boomerang. There's a lot of easily. mans in this game. I feel like. Yeah, it's this is this is definitely. Um, uh, well, yeah, I don't know how to how to put that. It, they're not recognizing different genders to say the yeah. least in this film. But again, it was the '80s. Mm-hmm. Not that that's an excuse, but that's just what happened. Yep. Um, uh, Flash Man is next, then Bubble Man, and finally uh, Heat Man again because Heat Man gets killed by like two. Two bubbles that you get from Bubble Man. I know this is super nerdy, but if you've ever played this game, you understand that the order in which you kill the bosses is so important because it'll drive you crazy if you don't do it correctly. It, an interesting fact as well is that Mega Man, who is, I guess, an iconic name now, and wasn't always going to be Mega Man. He was always going to be Rock Man. That's another name. Many names are thrown around during the development, and Mega Man was once known as Battle Kid, <laughs> Mighty Kid, and Knuckle Kid, amongst other names. I guess they didn't like the kid sound, and they moved him up to a man. Yeah. He grew up. He did grow up, and you know, I think the alliteration definitely helps. Knuckle Kid would have still been alliterative, but I don't know. It's not, a, not as catchy, I don't think. I, I 100% agree. Um, and believe it or not, uh, the developers um, actually allowed input from the public to uh, come up with the boss designs, and so Capcom received... Over 8,000 boss submissions for the game and use some of their ideas. A um, couple other things. In the, uh, in the final stage, there you hear like little, little drops, red drips, um, that actually shares the same side of, or sound effect as Link 
um, The Legend of Zelda, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Adventures of Link, which is Zelda 2. Uh, and we'll talk more about that game a little bit later on. Um, finally, according to video game journalists, this game is considered one of the best games in 1998, along with... 88. Ninja- I'm sorry, 88. 88, yes. Yeah, you're right, not 98. In 98, I still thought it was one of the best games, but in 88, uh, and that came out the same time as Ninja Gaiden and Super Mario Bros. 3. So that's some pretty good company. Cool. Yeah, so my second game that I picked was 007 Goldeneye, which again is, again, I, I find out that Justin and his fraternity brothers must have played this game like 24-7, during college, like I don't, I, I question if you guys even went to class. Well, that's maybe that's a, another conversation, <laughs> another podcast. Uh, but no, you actually, and I, I mentioned this off the air, but um, Josh chose two of the games that I was going to choose before, so he got to them first. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk about honorable mention games a little bit later on because it was a tough choice. There was a lot of fun games during yeah. this time period. But anyway, back to Goldeneye. So this game, believe it or not, was developed by only nine people. Um, and eight of them had never even worked on a game before, which is pretty impressive. And more impressive, that it was originally planned to be a 2D, single-player, side-scrolling game, much like Donkey Kong at the time. Um, and, however, developer Martin Hollis suggested it be a 3D first-person shooter for the N64, which the technology and system didn't even fully exist yet. Right, and, and, and in case, I mean, I don't think we even mentioned this, but if you don't know 007 Goldeneye, it goes along oh. with the movie, yeah. right? Great movie. Pierce Brosnan's yeah. first uh, mm-hmm. shot at being uh, James Bond, um, and, and Sean Bean is the the well, spoiler alert. He's he's the bad guy. Um, yeah, so it's it's in the good movie. old Sean. He's been in everything. He dies in a lot of things too. It's real sad. He's famous for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this 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 game really had some pretty low expectations, um, but despite that. Uh, when it came out in, uh, well, at the Expo, the Electronic Entertainment Expo um, in 1997 in Atlanta, it got a lot of, I mean, positive critical and commercial success. And in 1998, it sold um, 2.1 million units, which actually surpassed uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, um, which is incredible, especially for a Zelda game. Uh, well, I should also say that it actually sold, eventually, more than 8 million units worldwide, making it the third best-selling Nintendo 64 game behind, as we've mentioned before, Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Pretty amazing. Yeah, Um, I mean, it was just an awesome game. Yeah. So then GoldenEye is frequently cited as one of the... For impact on society and gaming, it's frequently cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. In 2007, GamePro placed it ninth in the 52 most important video games of all times, called it... The console killer app of the 1990s and the best game ever licensed from a film. Yeah, and it's just gotten a ton of different other, uh, other like I said, critical acclaim by IGN, um, by Nintendo Power, uh, by, I mean, just tons of websites and, and just gaming institutions just essentially think this is one of the best games ever made. And, and, yeah. I, and I agree a lot. And I, I think something to mention is that this is one of the very, like, this paves the way for all you Listeners out there that, that play Call of Duty or any first shooter games, like, this was the game coming out. Like, this paved the way for a lot of those type of games, especially Halo 2. A lot of nights in my uh, childhood, not childhood, high schoolhood were spent playing Halo. So thank you, 007. Yeah, I mean, and I know some people that are uber nerds out there are going to be saying, well, there were some other versions, and there certainly were. Yeah. 
Yeah. But this kind of, in my opinion, I think it really revolutionized the whole idea of, of the multiplayer um, aspect. Because there were games you could play that were more story-based. You had uh, Duke Nukem and Doom, and those were on the computer. Um, but this one was really like, okay, let's pit one another, each other against one another. Um, and kind of made it like a fun game to play with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like, I, of course, I would, I would go through and beat the game. But... That was like secondary. I hardly ever did that unless no one was around. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the way video games are going. I mean, Call of Duty didn't have a story mode on their last right. release in November. Yeah, so. and obviously with, with the advent of Fortnite and things like that. Yeah. Um, so just a little bit about like who our favorite characters are. Mine's always been Trevelyan. That's who I used a little bit ago to uh, beat Josh in this game pretty badly. Um, who's yours? Yeah, mine, this is going to sound very lame, um, but my favorite character is always James Bond. Reason being, Pierce Brosnan to me just epitomizes cool. Like he is James Bond to me. That might be sacrilege. I know Sean Connery was the original one, but to me, the best Bond ever was Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, it just kind of depends. I think when you were, were brought up yeah. and what you watched first. Yeah, and then uh, honorable mention character Natalia was a very cool character to play with in the game. I'm gonna throw in their odd job, but we often have rules where you can't play as odd job because we think it's cheating. And actually, I read a, uh, an article recently that said like people consider anyone who plays the odd job a cheater because he's so short. And then if you crouch down, which is a super trick, you basically have to like aim at the ground to shoot him. Um, and we just played. My favorite level is the complex, and the fun thing yeah, about yeah, I can tell why. Yeah. So the fun part about that is that uh, you know, just like with a lot of other games you might play, you can figure out where people will. Uh, will regenerate or respawn. Um, one that's less uh, less cheating is the temple. Um, I always like that one with grenade launchers. I was a fan of the facility, too. Yeah, Bob. I like the being stealthy. You know, you're, you're, you're 10 years old. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm being a spy. You get a silenced pistol. So I just playing that was always fun for me. Right. Um, what we just did was the way that I like to play the game, which is to turn the, the health level all the way down so that basically it's a... It's a golden gun type play, which one shot kills you, um, but you can use other weapons with that. So we used to always do that. Yeah, I liked the, the multiplayer too, and I liked just the gold, getting a golden gun because it seemed so cool to have a golden gun. Like it was awesome. That's true. I, I just I thought I think it's fun just to, that every gun can serve as a golden gun. Actually, one of the more fun ways to play is either with knives or with uh, slappers. Just slap each other. Slappers. Yeah. That it is really challenging, but pretty ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, uh, what were some of the unique aspects of the game? Let's move on to that. Um, so what's interesting is that about a month before the game scheduled release, um, they just decided afterwards to throw in the multiplayer feature. Like, that was an afterthought, and they only spent a few weeks building it. Um, but I think that we can agree that's pretty much the, one of the most popular and innovative features. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was among... The first games to make players earn built-in cheats. In addition to the single-player and multiplayer modes, GoldenEye 007 has a cheat option mode that opens up both beneficial and novelty conditions for play. Yeah, you can uh, you can make everyone have... This is always fun. You, uh, it's called DK mode, making everyone's uh, characters have huge heads and tiny bodies, which is kind of like a reference to um, Donkey Kong. Um you could do things that make people invisible or invincible, but the, the the challenging part about getting these cheats is that you had to beat certain levels in like time constraints, and some of these were were darn near impossible. Um, yeah, it was just really tough to do. Um, 
So there have obviously been other GoldenEye games released. They're not GoldenEye games, but James Bond released. But after this, um, one of the things that the 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 company did, Rare, um, they developed a game called Perfect Dark. And I remember buying this because the gameplay was almost just like GoldenEye, um, which came out in two, 2000. Uh, but the problem was it wasn't James Bond, so it wasn't as much fun. It was yeah. kind of creepy. Did you ever play that? I did not, but... Yeah, I, I was like... Sometimes those knock... I hate to say knockoff games, but it's just hard when you, when you have one game that you love. It's hard to really play another game. Yeah. No, true. Um, I think we already kind of touched on why we love it so much, right? Yeah, I do want to mention one reason why, um, because she does listen sometimes, I know. So one reason that I loved it, uh, my mom, who doesn't know how to play video games, she would play James Bond with us. So that was just fun for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom's playing a video game with me. So I just thought of an amazing um, like YouTube channel, and hopefully this isn't offensive to people, but like playing video games with... You know, different generations, that and just be. just recording that, and then watching people like their reactions to that. Wouldn't that be? I'd watch that. I would watch that totally. <laughs> I'd watch yeah. it just with my mom, and I'm sure your mom too. Yeah, I think that's that's an amazing. That could even be a fun podcast someday. All right, we're gonna so. we're gonna I'm gonna get to work on that. The nerds and their moms. <laughs> yeah, speaking of nerds, uh, let's talk about some uh, some nerd facts. Um, what's funny is uh, Shigeru uh, Miyamoto who is kind of in charge of the game, he actually wanted the game to end with the shaking of hands of all your enemies at the hospital. Um, because, you know, they didn't want... It, you don't want to imply that you had killed everyone and they were dead forever and they were never come yeah. back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, believe it or not, the team actually took his advice. Um, they didn't have him shaking hands with everyone, but they added, like, a credit sequence where, like, all of the characters, including, like, the Russian soldier and the scientist, are kind of introduced like it's a... Like, they're actors in a movie, which I thought was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, if you look at the game itself, a lot of the textures are actually based on photographs from the actual film set. So um, Rare got some kind of, you know, unprecedented access at the time to the the GoldenEye movie set. Um, They visited several times and kind of took some photographs of what it would look like so they could make the game look as realistic as possible. And I agree. I think it really does. Yeah, convey the movie, right? And it's so accurate, in fact, that even like down to the same exact Russian text on the doors and the signs in the movies are on the doors and signs in the game, which, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, another nerd fact, only character in the movie who does not appear as a man in the game is a man named Jack Wade. They were not able, able to secure the actor's permission to use his like, likeness. Every other character in the movie um, was in the game. Um, Wade, in the movie, was a member of the CIA. So, you know, in all the Bond movies, he's always got a CIA person who he's either going back and forth with, etc. So. Right. Um, well, I mean, speaking of people appearing in the game, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton are all kind of hidden characters in the game. Um, sorry, George Lazenby, he wasn't in it. But he was only in one yeah. Bond movie. He's kind of overlooked Do all the time. Do we even count him? I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a fun trivia game yeah, to name all, the, name all the Bonds. Um, he's the one that people often forget. Um in some of the, I find this interesting just because this is still a topic today. In some of the original testing of the game, there were huge gouts of rendered blood boiling out of enemies when you shot them. So this got toned down to just a lot of brief flashes of red. They were worried about the violence in the game. Um, and there was some worry about people believing the characters were like real life. That's what we talked about that already. But yeah, just, and I think that's still a topic that goes on today is. 
violence in video games. We're not going to get into that because this is not that kind of podcast. But no. I just thought that was interesting that they were worried about that and people still worry about it. So. I think that goes back to like the handshaking thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a little fun fact too, uh, one of the uh, – in, in the Bunker 2 stage, Bond's objectives, and this is when you're playing you know, first person, um, the storyline, your objective is to collect – a CCTV tape, and the tape is actually a copy of the film Goldeneye. And you can actually see, like, the cover in his inventory, which I thought was pretty pretty funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that is cool. You get those little mixes in there. Mm-hmm. And um, so, Justin, why don't you introduce us to your final game? Yeah, so uh, the last game, I kind of I mentioned it earlier, uh, but this game, and really this entire series... And I'm sure anyone who's a nerd out there, if you thought we'd get through not mentioning a Zelda game, um, you're crazy. Because Zelda, I think, are, is the most iconic game series of, of all time. Maybe Mario Brothers, you could say. But, I mean, Zelda games have been used to push Nintendo sales since Nintendo came out in the 80s. Yeah, see, and I guess I guess my thing is I've never been a huge Nintendo guy. Yeah. Like, I had a Nintendo 64, but by then, by the time I was a little older, I had, you know, PlayStation, Xbox One, not Xbox One, Xbox 360, so we're just in different nerd generations here. And I've got, to that. that's true, and, I, and I, I guess I was just brought up Nintendo, so, like, I got the GameCube, I got Wii, I got Switch, I never bought the Wii U, but... Um, the Wii just makes you work out. I mean, come on, like, I'm playing a video <laughs> game, what's going on? Like, that's, why am I working out? Why am I sweating as I play a video game? That's true, yeah, that's a real, that's a real lazy comment. Um, yes, I agree. <laughs> so the game I chose is uh, it's called The uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, and a little bit of history of this game. It came out, uh, again, on the N64 in 1998. Um, the same person who I already mentioned, uh, Miyamoto, he was the principal director. He also oversaw Mario 64. Um, and this was, again, almost every Zelda game is released to try and drive uh, Nintendo sales. Uh, this was the fifth game in the series, um, but it was the first with 3D graphics. Um, and w- this is, again, iconic to the case of Zelda. Let me ask you this. Don't read. Did you already read it? I have looked over it, but let me see it. Do you know what color the cartridges are, the limited edition cartridges for Zelda games? What's the iconic color? I have no idea. All right. Yeah. So if you pre-ordered the game in North America, you would get a limited edition box with a gold plastic card affixed to it. Um, I have I have the Zelda, original Zelda, uh, Adventures of Link, even A Link to the Past, and those are all like gold cases, which is pretty cool. Um, this game is widely considered one of the best games of all time, and is, is definitely considered the best Zelda game. I don't know, the new one though is pretty amazing. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, if you've ever played this game, you understand this, but a lot of people don't. Um, the, 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 the title actually refers to Zelda, but the main character is Link. And he's trying to save Zelda. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. See? I'm uh, learning something new. You're learning a lot about yes, Zelda yes. stuff today. Um, and I'm just going to geek out on it. Seven million copies were sold worldwide. Um, the whole premise is you're trying to, again, save uh, Zelda from Ganondorf, or Ganon, who's always the bad guy. Um, and this was, the at the time, the largest game Nintendo created in that it was a 32 megabyte game, which nowadays is nothing, but... Back then, uh, it was it was huge um, for the Nintendo platform. It's ranked number two by AGN as the top 100 games of all time. Um, over a million copies were sold in less than a week 
including 500,000 pre-sales, which tripled any other pre-game sales to date. I mean, this game was, like, popular, crazy, yeah. Yeah, and then even I looked up some stuff. Ocarina of Time definitively proved what 3D games were capable of, not only setting the standard for future Zelda games, but also for all the open-world adventure games. You know, everything from Grand Theft Auto, which is an amazing game, to the Assassin's Creed, which were amazing, kind of have gone way lame because they've made too many of them, owes Ocarina of Time ample gratitude. Like, any... Any open world game you play, you can base it back to this. Yeah, and like that's th- something Zelda's always done. Like they've always made these open world games, um, but in this instance, it was a 3D one, which just made it even more amazing to play and watch people play. It earned 150 million in U.S. revenues, um, which was higher than any Hollywood film um, during the last six weeks of 1999, which is again pretty nuts. Or 1998, sorry. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much. I mean, so, I can, I, I've wrote down a whole bunch of different... Yeah, I mean, I you mean, should see his notes for this. I mean, you can tell that he is a Zelda fan. I mean, I mean IGN... Like 20, yeah. Yeah, I just love it. IGN, Game Informer, even Nintendo, Nintendo Power, Rockstar Games. Basically, all they talk about is, this is one of the best games ever made. It's untouchable. Um, I mean, whether it's a Nintendo or just a game, period. Um, and... Same thing with Edge. The Edge. Uh, I, I just. I don't know. I'm not going to read all of these, but just just if you look up Ocarina of Time, you're going to find so many amazing critics and, and publications talking about how this game is just the best ever. Um, so me personally, I again, you're you're Link the whole time playing it, so I couldn't really pick a favorite character because he's obviously a okay. favorite character. I will say the most annoying character was called Navi. So in this movie or in this game, you had a little uh, little fairy that would basically talk to you. Um, and Navi was incredibly annoying. Uh, it would be like, hey, you're going to the wrong temple. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, Navi. Leave me alone. Have they ever made movies out of Zelda? You say that. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they have. I'm pretty Probably sure. Probably a good thing because video games to movies could be a whole other uh, podcast in the time just how terrible they have they Yeah, been. I think it'd be pretty tough to do, and I'm sure they don't want to piss anybody off. Um, the most challenging bad guy by far, is the Shadow Ganon, who's in the Forest Temple. And the most challenging temple is the Water Temple, because I get lost all the time. Anyone who's ever played this game, you feel, hopefully you feel my pain, because it was just a maze. Um, And, you know, what's interesting is that there are just so many other versions of this. I'll just kind of go through them real quick. For the NES, there is Legends of Zelda, Legends of Zelda, The Legend of Zelda, I don't know, I can't spit that out, Adventures of Link, Super Nintendo, Link to the Past, Game Boy, Link's Awakening, N64, again, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask. Game Boy Color had Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. Game Boy Advance had Four Swords. Wind Waker was on GameCube. Um, there was Twilight <laughs> Princess on Wii. Uh, a couple other, like, you know, crossbow, crossbow training games. Um, Skyward Sword was also on Wii. Um, and then most recently, Breath of the Wild is on Switch. And Breath of the Wild is... Just a whole other level of incredible um, gameplay. Um, what's interesting about this, this is kind of a fun nerd fact, um, the game's play and plot were actually deeply inspired by Twin Peaks. Have you heard of Twin Peaks? I've heard of, it's a movie, correct? Um, there was a movie. That's what I'm thinking of. But it's, a, it's actually a television show. Twi- yeah, okay, show. And what, what, uh, um, what Miyamoto said was that he wanted to basically... Um, have the interaction interaction with all the different characters. Um, uh, kind of be David Lynch style, where there are these quirky characters, and they have 
you know, they say things that are just kind of off the cuff and aren't super important about or even apply to the plot, but they're just like weird people to talk to, which is totally what the show um, kind of conveys as well. Interesting. Um, so uh, let's get into some nerd facts. Um, believe it or not, the, the one Zelda game that everyone seems to hate uh, is Adventures of Link, which is the second one, which I actually love. My friends make fun of me. But those of you who are Ocarina of Time fans, um, fun fact is that it's actually been said that this was Zelda 2 was a main inspiration for Ocarina of Time, just the overall gameplay mm. when it was early in development. So if you like Ocarina of Time, you may want to check out Adventures of Link. Just saying. Um, this game, there, it took over 120 people to develop this game. Um, they even brought in stunt performers to work on sword fighting and his movement, um, which nowadays they do, but back then that was not That's a thing. kind of ground, yeah. yeah. Which is funny when you think of it. You had, what did we say, eight or nine people made Bond? Double, yeah. And you got 120 people making this one. It's, yep. It's a big difference. Yep. Uh, a, fun little, uh, inter- a fun little reference to other Mario games. Um, all the characters at Lon Lon Ranch are supposed to be references to other Mario characters in the series. So Talon is supposed to be Mario, Ingo is supposed to be Luigi, and Malin is supposed to be Peach. Yeah, and what I thought was interesting was, um, so supposedly in you, there's a fishing minigame mm-hmm. yeah. in, in the game, and I, I read this, that basically the fishing minigame was, was created because Kazukaki Morita uh, was supposed to be working on another game, and he got bored. So he just kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to make this fishing minigame. So basically, that fishing minigame is in there because a guy was slacking off at work, which is hilarious to me. Yeah, and it, it is really tedious, and it's hard to catch the big fish. Um, it's, it's, it's so tough. Um, and it's really just tedious, really, more than anything. Um, the, uh, go ahead. Yeah, so Ocarina of Time, and again, I, I don't know, I, I haven't played it, but I was reading, may not seem edgy accordingly, but um, they said it's Nintendo's most heavily censored game. Really? Early versions of the game had Ganondorf coughing up and shedding red blood during the climactic battle, but it was later changed to green. And mm-hmm. Nintendo also removed some different religious references from the game as well. So, um, yeah, huh. very heavily censored game. Interesting. Um, in the German version, uh, the Carpenters are actually named John, Paul, George, and Ringo, which are inspired. Overrated. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, maybe we'll, we'll talk about the Beatles yes. later on. Um, and again, they just reference, they, they go back to Mario, uh, when you meet Zelda for the first time, go back in, um, or check out the window to the right side of the castle courtyard, and you'll actually see pictures of Yoshi, Peach, Mario, Bowser, and Luigi on the, uh, wall. So, a lot of fun little, little, uh, things hidden in there. Um. Yeah, we're gonna go to, uh, so, honorable mentions now. Yeah, there are just a ton of games that I couldn't... I wanted to talk about so much. It's like a twenty-hour podcast. We, I think we're going to have to go into each one of these, a couple of them, in more in depth. Um, the Simpsons, which I played on the arcade game, um, or in the arcade, which was incredible. I got to throw back to Oregon Trail, classic. Uh, Contra, which you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA. Select Start. If you have two players, get those thirty lives. Ducktales, maybe one of the hardest games ever made. Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Got to be clear because uh, Punch Out. Without Mike Tyson, I don't think is actually Punch Out. Um, Super Mario Bros. Three, Mortal Kombat. We didn't even mention that. I like Mortal Kombat Two myself. Um, NBA Jam. There are some sports games that I was really into. Again, we're doing pre two thousands here. Star Wars: Dark Forces. If you're a computer guy, um, was one of the best Star Wars games ever, in my opinion. 
Um, let's not talk. Let's not forget about just Super Mario World, which is actually we talked about the highest ranked games. Ocarina of Time is often number two. Number one is Super Mario World. Um, it's the first game with Yoshi, and AGN has it as the number one game of all time. Um, and then, of course, I already mentioned Duke Nukem, but also we got to throw in there Metroid. Yeah, you know, and then um, for me, I, I liked uh, you had Oregon Trail. That would have been one of mine. Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball loved it. Loved, loved, loved that game. Um, I, I was a big Genesis, Sega Genesis guy, so looking at uh, Aladdin on Sega Genesis, Lion King on Sega Genesis, Sonic the Hedgehog, those were all just games that were so fun. Um, then, I, you know, a pet peeve of mine, again, I just like to mention this in every podcast, is that the remade Disney movies are terrible, don't see them. Okay, anyway, um, Sonic the Hedgehog, I've said Madden Football was amazing in this time period, Wayne Gretzky Hockey... And in my opinion, NHL 94 was the best sports game of all time. Oh, that was the first one with the uh, one-timer, right? Yeah, the one-timer, and then you know the fights, and you could, uh, I don't know if you remember, but you get into a fight, and the guy falls in the thing, and he bleeds. When he falls down, and he cracks his head. Yeah, and that, so, was, in, that was in uh, 93 as well. Yeah. And I remember the trick in 94 was the, uh, the cut across. So if you went around behind the goal, and then you cut right across, the goalie would get stuck, and you would just have an open net every yeah. time. Yeah, Brett Hall, Nelson Emerson, you know, let's go Blues on there. So. Yeah, I always like to play with Gretzky. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm, see, my problem, I'm a loyal guy. When I play, like, a video game, if I'm a sports fan, like, I have to be the Blues. I just can't do anything else, so. I, I feel you. Yeah, I was always uh, Mizzou uh, in, NW, in, or in mm-hmm. what was it, NCAA basketball yeah. or football. Um, it's probably so. why I'm a terrible fantasy football player, though, at least when the Rams used to be here, because I'm too loyal. Yeah, to that kind of that, stuff. That's true. You gotta maybe not be loyal to those teams yes. when they're that bad. Anyway, but I digress. Um, well, I think that's it. Yeah. Right. So I, here's the part of the show where we do a little uh, nerd outreach. So. Yeah. Take- so I'm gonna do uh, thank yous again, Clayton High School. Thank you for letting us use your facilities. I want to thank my wife and daughter again for letting me come up here and be a big kid and podcast. My wife gets food brought home to her so she you know she's going to be thanking me hopefully um just a reminder if you have any future show suggestions uh please send them in you can use um hashtag uh, nerd is a new cool podcast on any social media platform um josh how can they contact contact us directly yeah so we have an email i don't know if any kids use email anymore but nerd is a new cool podcast at gmail.com you can like or follow us on facebook instagram at Facebook or Instagram at Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Nerd is a New CO2. And they can listen to us on SoundCloud at Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. And I would be expecting in the next month or so kind of like a blitz on our social media accounts as we kind of get more and more into this. Yeah. Speaking of our next show, um, we're thinking about doing a, uh, we're going to do a little. The Office. So we're going to pick some favorite episodes and characters and uh, maybe even have a guest or two. Yeah. Looking forward to that. I mean, anytime I get to talk Michael Scott, it's great. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Sign on, everybody. All right. Thank bye-bye. You.